I mean, anyone that knows anything about whiskey knows Milrose. Hello, and welcome to Best Sips Worldwide. I'm your drinking companion, Susan Schwartz, an American travel writer living in London. Thanks to my mother's love of martinis, the first words I spoke were shaken, not stirred, and I've been obsessed by the history of cocktails ever since. Through the years, I've been lucky enough to sip some of the best made by the best. Hear that sound? It's time to cozy up to the bar and let me introduce you to the movers and shakers of the world's most famous watering holes. Lucky for us, our guest today can't help but wax lyrical about his lifelong passion. Simo, proprietor of Milroy's of Soho, the oldest whiskey shop in London, may only be 30, but he has tasted thousands of whiskeys. He joins us today to tell us how he fell in love. I'm generations of builders in my family. Um, so I, I went to school, um, I did uh, A-levels in physics, chemistry and maths, was going to be a chemical engineer at Imperial, and then when I did the tour, uh, it just looked really sort of, they told me I was doing 50 hours of lab time, plus lectures on top. Were you, eight, like, were you 18? 18, yeah, and mm-hmm. I was just like, I just want to go to university and just get drunk and have a good time. <laughs> so um, I, I turned, it, turned the place down and went to East London University to advertise them just for a laugh, really. Um, met loads of good people, cool people, um, friends that I call family today. Um, and uh, yeah, kind of quit after two years and just thought, just go back in to start start companies really well, your, was your family just like wait a sec um, they've kind of always known I've got a bit of a, a weird I mean I don't really call it an entrepreneurial streak I guess you suppose to call it um, I've been employed like three times in my life um, and when I left university went around to Canada for a bit um, got kicked out of Canada uh, come back and thought I'd set up a construction firm because I've got generations of builders in my family I've been working on building sites since I was 13 um, so I set up a building company and it did really well um, but kind of um, it was when I moved to I was living in Shoreditch at the time and my friend owned the White Rapper Studios opposite where I used to live and uh, I had this lovely four story house warehouse and when he started that up I was like oh, okay let's just uh, we should do something in MySpace and um, so we started doing lots of pop up um, restaurants in there a friend of mine Magnus Reed um, who owns uh, Legs and a lot of good restaurants in East London uh, me and him set up this illegal cocktail bar <laughs> um, called Lewis & Co because that was the name of the building originally and it did really well just completely illegal on a Saturday night just for Shoreditch people uh, who lived in Shoreditch and you had to literally live in Shoreditch if you wanted to come uh, just kind of get away from the weekend crowd that was Shoreditch was turning into at the time. so just instinctively you wanted food and drink yeah I just really got into it um, I mean I've never really had a palate of food uh, so it was more on the drink side for me but it was um, when I set up my first restaurant in Soho I actually wanted a bar but trying to get into Soho. Soho's a very tight community. And if any sort of places come up, they get, you know, they just ask the community if they want some. So it's very hard to get just a bar in Soho. So I managed to get this restaurant, which we call Colvolts. Um, it was like a cocktail bar and um, sort of restaurant. And we used to pair sort of cocktails to small plates. Uh, it was really good, although I was, we were selling, you know, 75% of my revenue was actually booze. <laughs> yeah. Is that true of every restaurant? Uh, it is, yeah, it is. Um, I mean, it did... It, it takes did, very little alcohol to make a martini. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and it did um, It did really well. I mean, uh, I think Esquire uh, put its top 10 best new restaurants to open in the country. 
Uh, we did really well, great press out of it. Um, and it was, before I set up that, I used to, where we are now in Milroy's, uh, these guys actually got me into whiskey. Um, I was in my early 20s, and it was the one thing that as soon as I started drinking it, um, I suddenly had a palate for it. Um, it was one of those, you know, just kind of those light bulb moments. You're like, ah, oh, this tastes amazing. And then you try the next thing, and you can suddenly recognise the differences. And I, I, I picked it up really, really quickly. Um, and that's how I really fell in love with whiskey and Milroy's. But at the time, I was owning Colvolts, another restaurant, and this place was going downhill. It was owned by a wine company at the time. Uh, the Milroy's brothers sold it in the late 90s. Uh, so I think the rumour was that Jack didn't want his wife to get in a divorce, so he sold it to a friend. Oh boy. <laughs> um, which his friend didn't sell it back to him. So they fell out very quickly. Um, and yeah, so I, I took off this wine company, because I was taking to a wine shop and I'd been coming to Milroy's for years and absolutely loved the place and it was kind of, it was breaking my heart just to see, you know, an institution in the industry kind of losing its name and losing its value and losing its place in the world. So I just sold my restaurant there and then and then got some new investors and brought this place. Mm-hmm. Um, took it off them, I stripped it all out. Um, luckily from my building days I can build lots of things. So I pretty much built everything you see and touch in here. I built myself from the concrete bar downstairs, the cop up here, the bookcase door I built, all the units, what you're sat on now. Uh, just kind of built it myself and Was I, it was it just a like a nineteen sixties, never changed, never It was more no it been it was one of those annoying like if anyone's ever done shop fitting for or read on a shop or a bar, you get these annoying shop fitters and bar fitters that basically just add <laughs> And so I found like four layers of walls when I was stripping it out. I actually, actually, so it got bigger and bigger and bigger. It actually, I increased the space by about a foot either side. <laughs> it was great. Um, but we found all the old cornices and the old brickwork. So I found all those again, and so sort of cleaned those up into what it was the original shell back um, when it was in the sort of the sixties. Um, and then sort of with the units I sort of put in there, I kind of designed them around sort of that sort of what they look like in the era. Mm. Um, so I kind of tried to bring it back to what it was. Uh, with almost like a little twist because I had the restaurant Colvolt so the basement downstairs is beautiful um, and I stripped it all out and I put a cocktail bar there called the Vault uh, which Chris Tanner ate. so was the Colvolt was it here? no so the Colvolt was, was on Wardour Street Okay. there was a basement bar and restaurant there All right. and um, it's when I sold that and I had to go here and this had a bar license downstairs oh so it already had a bar downstairs uh, well no they've not used it for years so mm-hmm. you kind of come in here and I noticed the license on the wall and it had this bar license that they were never using it was just a horrible terracotta tile it looked like Spanish threw up in Ikea sort of type look downstairs it was really horrible and they were just using it for tastings and I was like guys why don't there's a bar license that's like and anyone in Soho knows that's gold dust and they weren't using it I was like I want it then price take it off them. Um, and just um, just took it off them and got some investors involved uh, pumped some money into it then we rebranded as well uh, brought back the Milroy's Whiskey single cast selection um, and then the vault got Chris Tanner who's ex uh, Milk and Honey Milk and Honey bartender and manager there and I got him downstairs and he transformed downstairs and it's doing really well and you know I've got a great team up here Patrick that runs my shop Eddie who's ex Boysdale runs the whiskey bar up here um, so it does it's yeah it's doing really well and people have you know come up to me and kind of gone cheers before <laughs> Bringing all these old, I'm getting all these old customers back. These come in the '60s and the '70s. Okay, let's talk because you went really quickly yeah. through it. Yeah. What was Milroy's? You know, why did you know it? Um. So. And, and maybe a little bit more about how you heard of it and its reputation. 
I mean, anyone that knows anything about whiskey knows Milroy's. It's so to give you a bit of history. So the Milroy's, Jack and Wallace Milroy, these were the guys. They started this place, same spot we're in now, in 1964, with the idea behind you know bringing single malt scotch to London. I mean, before sort of the 60s, everyone was kind of drinking blends. There's, the logistics in the world weren't what we have today of freights and lorries and buses and planes and stuff. So you couldn't really transport much. It's kind anywhere. of hard to imagine. Yeah, it's Especially like no internet, in no country. nothing. Yeah, you know, there's no no internet, no nothing. And so if you wanted whiskey, you know, you went to your local shop in Scotland and bought your local blend. Mm-hmm. So, of course, not a lot of people were doing single malt. I think it was in the 67, I think, um, when Glenfiddich sort of, commercially released their first single malt outside of Scotland to America and that was the first time that single malt scotch had been sold on volume outside of America and at the same time the Milroy's brothers they literally had to go up there in vans go around these distilleries which only about 12 at a time would do it and say can you make a young single malt and bottle younger single malt and we'll sell it in our shop in Soho in London mm-hmm. and they literally had to bring it in vans down to London and of course they gave birth to the single malt revolution it exploded as we all knew in the 60s and 70s um, and they did really well um, they are kind of legends in their own right um, Wallace was a big big guy uh, who unfortunately died recently but he's every time someone come in this philosophy that you come in here you drink whiskey you try whiskey you know that was his belief it was like you know you can give anyone all the sort of boring technical geeky side of things that some of us love but in the, the day he realised that it was a drink for the people and every time you come in, didn't care if you've never had whiskey before or if you've had loads of whiskey before, it'll give you something you've not tried and say, do you like it? Don't you like it? If you don't, it'll give you another one until you found something you like. And it was that philosophy of whiskey that I kind of knew and I fell in love with. And, you know, they sort of brought it into, um, sort of into its prime. There were the guys who went over to Asia, started bringing like Asian whiskeys in the late 80s, early 90s. Um, I mean, the guys... You're right, Chester. <laughs> um, Interrupted by a dog. Yeah, sorry, my little Jack Russell Chester. Um, <laughs> Who works here as well. Yeah, yeah he's the mascot. <laughs> um, and, you know, these guys were legends. Um, you know, the guys, anyone there, um, I mean, Doug MacGyver, that's, uh, is now the head sort of spirits guy for Barry Brothers. He started here. Um, Sakinda, he still started collecting miniatures from here. So that's what the Whiskey Exchange now. You know, most people kind of have a tie, and most people in the whiskey industry have a tie to Milroy's in some sort of way. Because um, they were the powerhouse, they were the name. Um, but of course, once they sold it in the late nineties to obviously China, Jack didn't want to get this missing divorce, uh, as you do back then. Sold it to a friend, and it, they kind of lost. They, they kind of lost the business, and it got a couple of owned by a couple of big corporations, and they kind of it kind of lost its soul, you know. And so when I took it over a couple of years ago, I wanted to bring it back to truly independent, curated list. If we don't like it, it doesn't go on the shelf. People come here for our knowledge and our passion and our expertise. Um, you know, every bottle I have on my shelf is sourced by us, tasted by us before it goes on the shelf, even down to the basic stuff. Um, that's why we've got lots of you know, single casks, independent bottlings, young distilleries, sort of unheard stuff. No one ever walks into my shop and goes, I want this bottle of whiskey. Everyone comes in and goes, I'm looking for a bottle of whiskey. Um, and then we kind of ask them questions about what you like, what you had before, and we kind of develop their palate a little bit. And it's kind of like a curated sort of experience when you come here. And how did you get your scotch education? Um, drinking. Uh, here where we are in the back, this used to be an office where we're sat now at the back in the snug. Um, it used to be an office and I used to come in and get drunk all the time with the guys that used to run the shop. Um, and that's how I got my education. I mean, you can, I mean, in wine you've got WCTs and you can learn about it. And of course you can, there aren't many, there are no decent courses actually for whiskey. Um, where you can you can learn about how whiskey's made, but at the end of the day, you know I've had about two and a half, three thousand different whiskeys in my life, and I'm only thirty. 
Um, I think uh, I think it was Colin Dunn that told me. He said you'll never remember what an individual whiskey tastes like, but you'll know the difference between that whiskey and that whiskey. And that's what you've got to learn. It's that whiskey has, to me, like 500 different taste profiles to any bottle of whiskey. It's the most versatile liquor on the planet, and we can tell the difference between every single bottle of whiskey on the shelf. Um, and it's kind of once you kind of get people to know that and say, look, it's they try this, then try the next one, then try the next one, and notices the differences and the subtleties and why it's there. And then once you start learning the differences, you work backwards, you go, okay, well, why does this taste like this? It's the cask, it's the maturation time, where it was stored, the water source, the barley source, um, you know, everything. And you can kind of work backwards from there. So it's just kind of, you start just drinking it, and drinking lots of it, and then you kind of do a little bit of research yourself and you work backwards to, and then you start learning about sort of the distillation time, types, the shape, the stills. Um, you know, fermentation time, what yeast they use, where it's sort of made, and that's when you start learning backwards. But at the end of the day, it's just drinking it. Do you like it? Do you, do, like do you it? think they didn't really use the bar downstairs because they were a little too precious about mixing it? No, it was just because Joe Bones that owned it was a wine shop and they'd have no experience in bars, and so they used it for tasting rooms and they used to taste them in the evening. I mean, I'm, um, I mean, downstairs we do a variety of cocktails, predominantly whiskey, but it's for me I, I you do get some people that are like you know never ever mix whiskey cocktails and I'm like no why not <laughs> no whiskey it's a versatile liquid it's, we it's, wouldn't have an old fashioned yeah it's a be- yeah exactly it's a beautiful liquid that's so versatile that you can make it's like probably the greatest thing you can put in a cocktail because you know I can give you 10, 10 bourbons I know that I can tell the difference between all 10 bourbons and I can make 10 different old fashions using different bitters different sugars different dilution modes and you know why not bring that over to it's just bringing your tasting notes down to and putting it into a cocktail so for me the perfect whiskey cocktail is actually you work from spirit up so you don't start with I want a peachy drink or I want a minty drink or I want a drink and then you work backwards it's more of a okay this is my whiskey this is the tasting notes I get out of it and then the best whiskey cocktail for me is that you put out those flavours in the cocktail so essentially you're drinking an exaggerated version of that whiskey you know, presented and you know, distilled in a really nice way, and that's what Chris does downstairs really well. Um, you know, he's got bourbon down there at the moment, Buffalo Trace, and he found some like sort of coconut vanilla notes in it. So he made a coconut butter fat washed old fashioned out of it, and it brought out all the flavours. So you can still taste the bourbon, but you get all the exaggerated flavours and the exacerbated flavours of that bourbon out in the cocktail. It's beautiful. You know, it that's sounds what fantastic. I, it is really good. <laughs> when you started, is that how you created your your first? I don't know your menu downstairs, but yeah. the cocktail menu. Did you have a whole bunch of drinks? Yeah. So when I, because I was downstairs when I first set up, Chris come on about sort of a year later because mm-hmm. uh, we concentrate on the shop, and then, um, so I was downstairs doing the cocktail list downstairs, and um, so yeah, that mine was all about. I had whiskeys, and all I did was have like sort of twenty odd whiskeys. And I had 20 odd cocktails. <laughs> and that was it. That's all you had when you first started? Yeah, just like massive whiskey. Uh-huh. Like my, my cocktail list was split into regions, mm-hmm. whiskey regions. And um, obviously, Chris come in and put his twist on it. And, you know, he, he's an actual commercial bartender as well. So he's, he had the idea so that you don't need that many cocktails, just kind of break it down a little bit. And uh, now he has that sort of like spirits from all over the world there. But again, it's the same concept. It's still, it's a particular, it's the same what I have with whiskey and I make whiskey cocktails. He has with every spirit. You know, he brought. Okay, it's you start with the spirit. You know, uh, I'm, I'm not a fan of people that start with an end flavor. They want that end flavor. No, no, different spirits do different things. You know, if you um, so you need to know your spirits. And Chris is very good at that. He'll know his spirits. He'll know his vermouth liqueurs, bitters, everything. And he'll know the background flavors, where it comes from, why it's there, and how it tastes like that. And that he'll work forward rather than working backwards, which 
Now, do you sell anything else but whiskey here? 95% whiskey. And uh, what is the 5%? Um, champagne and gin. Oh, gin? <laughs> I'll do a few bits of gin, yeah. Mostly champagne. Um, it's. I'm working here and drinking here, you turn into a bit of an alcohol snob. Um, I've not had a beer in five, six years now. Uh, nothing wrong with beer, I just don't like it and it's I kind of just realised I had the palate for just whiskey um, so I when I go out I drink whiskey um, or I drink I don't like Prosecco um, unfortunately I don't think you can get that decent Prosecco in this country so I drink champagne or decent red wine and tea but you let <laughs> gin in as well I'll let I drink gin straight so I'll never ever mix spirits ever so uh-huh. well, so when I mix spirits I'll never do spirit mixes ever um, if it's a good cocktail I love a good cocktail but for example I never order gin tonic if I go to a bar and drink a gin I'll have a drink gin straight <laughs> I just drink it, and my rule is: if you can drink it straight, it's worth drinking. <laughs> if it's not, if you have to, if the spirit is that bad that you have to mix it, it's not worth putting in your body. <laughs> so now, tell me about your branded uh, whiskies. Yeah, so the, the Mirrorways Brothers were really famous for their picking their single casks, and so when I picked, um, and I wanted to kind of bring that back to life again, uh, Jared Burns did it a little bit, um, but it was. You know, people pick these single casts to the point where they were so good that people just brought things with the Mirrorway's name on it because they trust their expertise. And that's what I wanted to bring forward with the the new selection. So we had everything signed by me, all handpicked by me and the team. Um, so the last round we did it was 150 car samples, and I picked on three. Um, and it's quite rigorous what we do for car sample. We put it for the tests, um, and then I, I designed my own blend as well. Um, so we're very very particular here but you know the idea is that you come in and there's a whiskey for everybody so I've got um, you know I've got my blend really nice very easy drinking an 8 year old blend I've got a an Ardmore um, which is like it's like a smoked old Pulteney it's beautiful there's like barbecue bacon there but that sort of covers your sort of big sort of coastal PT fans then I've got like a big Glen Tocker Sherry Bomb like you know non-chill filtered all, all my whiskies are non-chill filtered and you can see that little sediment in the bottom is big rich um, you know, barely lets any sunshine through it <laughs> when you hold it to the light. Um, and then you've got your sort of very long, citrusy, delicate, complex whiskey, the 28-year-old single cask Blair Affle I've got, which is very long. But they're all single cask, exclusive to the shop, all hand-picked by us. And that's what I wanted to get across, is I wanted to get the name back up that people come to us to trust us for our whiskey expertise and whiskey advice. You know, we still have bartenders come here, industry people come in here, and they'll still come and ask us questions about what they think, what we think of this, what we think of that. Um, because we're we have no snobbery about us at all you know um, I don't get paid by any brands I don't get tied to any brands you know um, we've had brands come in here and offer us God knows what under the sun just to plug their whiskey and if I don't like it I won't do it <laughs> so they can offer me as much cash as they want if I don't like the whiskey I'm not going to put it because people come in to trust us and they come in for our expertise and so you don't want to let these people down of course. you know we are an independent shop and you know I'm always here five six days a week um, the guys here are all experts if you want to work here on the bar we put you through a test <laughs> you know it's literally I think the test is if you want to work in the bar here you come up to the bar and you'll sit down don't talk to you like first day you walk in and you're like right, bar I'll pick five whiskies. I say tell me about them that's it that's your test so the ones that I'm just about to drink now don't give me that test <laughs> <laughs> that's literally so terrible because we don't, be yeah, we don't expect people to know no. everything about whiskey but you should be able to know you can try whiskey and you should be able to tell people about that whiskey just by trying it and nosing it and then just look at the bottle and um, you know you can you'd be surprised it's if you go people get hung up too much about um, 
you know what the taste and what the distillery say it tastes like. But of course, with this 500 taste profiles, I might get something different than you get. Mm-hmm. You know, it depends what we've had for lunch, what we've had for breakfast, what you normally drink, what you normally eat. Big red wine drinkers get a lot of difference out of their whiskies than say, I would get, I'm a spirit drinker. So, you know, my, my palate is used to, you know, 40% tastes very watery to me. <laughs> you know, I can taste the water in it. Um, you know, so I drink 50, 60 plus most of the time, just because that's what my palate demands. Um, but a lot of people that drink sort of like your beers and your ciders will tend to have like a lighter, softer whiskey. Your big red wine drinkers want something to sort of balance out that sort of boldness. Um, so, and, but everyone, that's why I love whiskies. Everyone gets something different. <laughs> And that's why I like it. You can give one glass of whiskey to a hundred people, and they'll give you a hundred different taste notes. <laughs> you know, that's what I love about it, um, and that's what we try and get across to people that it is very personable. It is. It's all about you and what you think, and that's what whiskey is. It's for you <laughs> if you like it, that you like it, and that's that's where my passion comes from, and that's where that's what the Mirrorways brothers were about. You know, they didn't want to sit here and tell you that whiskey is this, that whiskey is that. All they wanted to do, they told you what they loved. <laughs> and they want you to try it. Yeah, that's it. I love this whiskey. I think it's fantastic. I got this and this. What do you get out of it? Mm-hmm. If you don't like it, don't worry about it. <laughs> you know, there's four million other ones. <laughs> so, you know, it's... And that, that's what that's the philosophy that I love about whiskey. And it's kind of lost it sometimes. There's this elitism about whiskey sometimes. And you have people come in here and I've gone... I've had conversations with people... And they're going, well, it's older, it's better. I was like, no, it's not. <laughs> I've tried whiskey that's 50, the oldest was 53 years old. It was 15 grand a bottle. I need a nice single cask. I won't say where it's from. <laughs> um, and I didn't like it. It was horrible. <laughs> it was over, it wasn't very nice. My favourite whiskies are, you know, 40 pound a bottle. You know, Kilheim is one of my favourite. Mackey Bay is one of my favourite standard drinking whiskies. And then you go to like 1975 Arbor. Huge price difference, huge age difference, but I like them just as much as each other, you know. And that's what people need to get over the fact that just because it's more expensive, just because it's older, doesn't necessarily mean it's better. It's more expensive because it's rarer, or because it's got, you know, some sort of name on it. <laughs> well, obviously, people were drinking it before the sixties, exactly. and it wasn't only people who could afford it. You know, exactly, uh, it was Scot- an expensive bottle. You know, Scotland is not full of billionaires right. <laughs> that can drink thousand pound bottle whiskey. It was a drink for the people. You went down to your local shop and you got your local blend. It was made by the people for the people. Um, as preachy as that sounds, no, that sounds good, <laughs> it's very March-esque. <laughs> you know, walking up to Washington, you know, like this. But um, it is, you know, and that's what I want to get people. I'm a young guy. I've got, I'm covered in tattoos, rings. I got. I come to work with Jack Russell. I ride a motorbike. I don't look like your typical sort of whiskey man. Um, but, you know, before I opened up Milroy's, you know, I had to go to very posh members' bars or other posh bars to have the whiskey that I wanted. And they always used to turn their nose up on me. And I, I didn't like that. I hated it. And I was like, why? I said, uh, well, you wouldn't know much about this. Whiskey's for mist. And I said, well, actually, I do. I know more than you do. <laughs> I just school them about whiskey on the bar. And they used to look at me with these, like, dumbfounded faces. And I'm like, how do you know that? I said, and the guy one Barton, I remember saying to him, how do you know that? You don't even look like you know anything about whiskey. I was like, what? I was just like, why would you say that? I totally understand. I was in an event and every single man with me was given it neat. And they looked at me and said, well, would you like an ice cube in that? So and I said, well, why? Are you giving everyone an ice cube or is yeah. it just me? And they said, oh, just you. Because we didn't think you might like it. Yeah. You know, so 
definitely there is. That's, it's it's really know, annoying. Like, the idea that bar. it's a man, older yeah. man's, rich man's drink. Yeah, and they're not the true whiskey lovers. Mm-hmm. You know, they're what we call they're like the called whiskey snobs. I mean, they're around. You can't you can't ever hate it. They support part of the industry, so you can't knock them too much. But whiskey is, you know, what I love. What I, when I when I set this place, is it was whiskey, no bullshit. Just cut the bullshit out. Um, and so in my bar here, you'll get, you know, on Friday night, half the bar here will be women sat next to 70-year-old guys chatting about whiskey. And this 70-year-old guy's going, oh, I remember when I was younger, I tried this whiskey when I was this, and they're like, oh, wicked, cool. And everyone's chatting to each other, and it's kind of, it's like almost like a social club. You know, people come in here, and we've had clubs started because of the British Bourbon Society, for example, they started here because they were a group of guys that just met at the bar and just found their love of whiskey. And there was somewhere they can come and just chat and have fun. And the bartenders were giving new stuff and it was everyone was moving on their palate on. And, you know, we don't have a menu here. It's literally our, but we have our whiskeys on the back. You know, if anyone asks you, where's your menu? I'm like, it's, it's up here. I said, like, you tell me what you like. Mm-hmm. I'll give you something that you'll love. <laughs> and that's it. And um, so no one ever comes here and goes, oh, um, they don't ever point to the bar. So I want that. So they ask us. And that, that's what, and that's what, you know, that's, that's really nice to see where people come in and they trust us enough to, you know, essentially, like, you know, break it down. Trust us enough to take their money and give them something for it. <laughs> you know, something they've not tried before. And, you know, you, you know, and it's nice to come in. And the people always come back, big repeat customers. And all these guys that are coming here when the Mirrorways Brothers set up, you know, these older guys come in, like, oh, I'm so glad you guys are here. When they sold it, it went downhill. I didn't come in for 10 years because of it. And That's now you guys. Compliment. Yeah, and now you're here. It's like, it's like back what it was. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just a no bullshit whiskey lovers. And that, that's what I love about the place. And, you know, the same emphasis with the bar downstairs. It's The service is very high-end. The drinks are really on point. Um, and, you know, Chris is... I've seen Chris just throw tape drinks off the pass and throw them away just because the ice cubes weren't right. You know, I love that about him. The lemon wedge was the wrong way up. But it's great. Or oh, it just tastes just a little bit too diluted. You throw it away. He's very particular. I love that. But they're all in T-shirts downstairs. <laughs> you know, everyone's in T-shirts, like, working downstairs. No dress code. And it just feels really comfortable, but you're getting really high in service. And up here's the same. It's a really comfortable atmosphere, but you're getting this amazing liquid given to you. I think this is going to become my second home. It should so be. let's it go drink some stuff. Yeah, it must All be. Right. Yeah. As a whiskey fan, I was happy to sit at the bar and sip all of Milroy's signature whiskeys. Thanks so much to Simo for being on the show. I decided to revisit Craig Claiborne, the former food editor and critic of the New York Times, for my cocktail of the week. In his March 30th, 1958 article on the newfangled brunch course, which was popping up on Sundays all over the city, one of the drinks he suggested to accompany this brunch was the whiskey sour. He makes it with two ounces of whiskey, rye, bourbon, or scotch, one or two teaspoons of sugar, one tablespoon of lemon juice, cracked or shave ice, and a maraschino cherry and a thin slice of orange for garnish. Combine the whiskey, sugar, and lemon juice in a shaker, add a scoop of cracked or shaved ice, and shake, shake, shake. Strain into a whiskey sour glass and garnish with the cherry and slice of orange. That's how they did it in the 50s, and I'm sure they're still doing it the same way in many a bar. Next up, we venture to Holland via London when we speak with Michael Mann, the UK brand ambassador for two Lucas Bowl spirits, Galliano and Bowles Geneva. Until next time, bottoms up. 
For more information and links to everything you've heard about, plus a bit more, please visit bestbitsworldwide.com. Thanks for listening to Best Sips Worldwide, a spin-off of Best Bits Worldwide. Always remember the wise words of Oscar Wilde, all things in moderation, including moderation, and never drink and drive. Okay, I said that last part. Theme music is by Stephen Shapiro and used with permission. You'll find me at the bar. <laughs>